0: Right, you all We are back. NBA season still a little bit away. It's so about 50-some-odd days, but there was a trade. There is still noise. This is the league that never sleeps. We had a monster domino fall in Utah with Donovan Mitchell being traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Here to break it down with me is, as always, well, here at least, my friend Josh Earl. Uh, Josh, let, let's just kind of go into it. We're not really trying to, obviously knock down the breaking news it's already been done yeah, yeah we're coming at it from a super fan perspective my own as well as another fan with some basketball operations background and josh to kind of look at it and see how we feel and give this out in mm-hmm. the audio perspective so josh let's kind of go right into it we knew that donovan mitchell was going to be traded yeah. at some point before the season mm-hmm. started right um especially with Rudy gobert being moved to the minnesota timberwolves in july sure enough blockbuster trade uh the Cavs sent uh Larry Markkinen, or rookie wing, Ochai Agbaji, guard, Colin Sexton, three unprotected first round picks in 2025, 2027, and 2029, plus two pick swaps in 2026 and 2028 for Donovan Mitchell. And then Sexton has agreed on a 4 year, $72 million sign and trade deal to join the Jazz Clutch Sports. They did that. So that's been reported. Josh, I throw it to you. What were your initial thoughts or your thoughts after having kind of marinated with a couple of days from the cast perspective and acquiring Donovan Mitchell? We'll start there.
1: I think like the, the initial thought was just kind of like, Oh, because there had been so much smoke and heat about the Knicks and, and that sort of thing. And I think everybody kind of had that same reaction of like, Oh, okay, cool. I wasn't quite expecting that specific deal to happen. Um, but but it makes sense. Like you mentioned they had moved Rudy. Um they have they just hired um a 34-year-old first time head coach. Like it was the writing was on the wall that Donovan Mitchell is not like they could hold him, they have the leverage to hold him longer to the trade deadline and stuff. But the writing was on the wall that they were gonna move him, and and you know, there was all the Knicks stuff. But when you think about it, the Cavs were in a unique position compared to the Knicks in the context of draft picks and unprotected draft picks, especially because they already have a core of three all-star caliber players, two of which were all-stars last year, one of which, and I love Scotty Barnes, but one of which should have been rookie of the year and, and had a case for, you know, depoy votes and everything as a rookie. Like they have three all-star level players already who are all under 25 already. So in that kind of context, you don't necessarily need those. You're not as concerned about giving up unprotected firsts down the line because we already have a really young core already locked in. So like, Getting those higher, potentially higher first round picks down the line to hopefully lock in a young core doesn't really impact us as much as it might with New York, where they've got some nice young players and stuff, but like nothing on the same tier as Cleveland. So it's one of those ones where if you're looking at it from the perspective of we know what Danny likes, like. To be honest, Danny's friends and families probably should hold some sort of intervention because that dude is clearly addicted to draft picks. Um, like, yeah. Uh We know what Danny wants. Which teams are actually well set up to do that and then go from it from that perspective as opposed to just, you know, well, Donovan's from New York. Um you know, he's got some connections to the Knicks. The Knicks would obviously love to land somebody like Donovan. There's a reason why that's that smoke started billowing and people thought there was a fire. But really, if we had kind of taken the fan uh helmet, so to say, off and like just looked at which teams were actually best served to give Danny what Danny's looking for, the Cavs would have probably popped.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That's an interesting perspective, like a good way of looking at it. Because you're right. I thought it was a foregone conclusion. Donovan Mitchell, New York. New York had interest. They wanted that marquee star they haven't had in a number of years. Donovan Mitchell obviously has had at least inklings of wanting to be back home, be where he you know, is the star, the sole guy. It just seemed like a matter of waiting for it to happen. What would the Knicks want to give up? What would the Jazz accept? You know, But it was, it was kind of a fate to complete there. Unfortunately, or fortunately, it was not that. Like you said, the Cavs, being a team with young players on the rise who are already established, all-star caliber players, didn't really, like you said already, kind of have the need for those picks that other teams would, such as the Knicks, who were kind of reticent to deal all of their picks and all of their talent. They wanted to have a bridge of that and preserve some space to kind of get another star there. So with Cleveland, you do have the opportunity. Um And, and like like you said, in terms of having between Darius Garland, um, as your guard in the backcourt alongside your two bigs you know of course in jared allen and evan mobley like those are two guys they all make sense together you know you have your yes. point guard yeah, yeah. you have your two bigs it's a system that works and now you bring in a guy down mitchell you know to over the last two years 26 points per game you know shooting 44 percent from the field around 36 37 percent from three 85 percent from the line um a guy who's a proven score all three levels, especially in the playoffs, multiple 50-point games. Yes. You have a guy like that who also, according to Synergy Sports, is in the 80th percentile in pick-and-roll and roll in isolation scoring. So you get that yep. weapon. One could argue there's a perfect fit for a Cavs team that put so much strain on Darius Garland down the stretch
1: Yes, yeah. from a like
0: playmaking, shot-making, offensive creation standpoint because you didn't have you know a Ricky Rubio had went down. And mm-hmm. it was too much pressure, of course, on um i mean there was a lack of Harris, backward yeah. help caris LeVert, exactly and him mm-hmm. being the guy who was kind of bringing offense off the bench you bring him as in the yep. starter and he's not an ideal fit next to um garland because he's not the best shooter and mm-hmm. needs to play with the ball a little bit to make his own offense so there's a lot on garland down the stretch that now in theory should not be an issue of mitchell yes. right next to him
1: yeah i i think i've talked with you before about how when I view opponent preparation or advanced scouting, I like to look for what I call uh, bottlenecks and speed bumps Mm. because uh, you can get deep into the weeds very easily with advanced scouting. But with the Cavs, once Ricky kind of went down, what happened is the entire half-court offense basically had to flow through Garland. And that's obviously a very clear bottleneck. You you don't have to game plan too much for everyone else. You just have to figure out how do we make Garland have less options? Like mm-hmm. we don't we don't even necessarily even if we have even if, you know, LaVert's having a good night or or so and so Kevin Love like there are players that would make a scouting report, you know, but we know the bottleneck is right there. We know the half court offense has to flow through Garland for them to get anything consistently good. So we know where to put our defensive focus and our pressure on right there. And I, I think Donovan is a fantastic scorer. I do not buy him as a playmaker, but with Garland, that's not going to be as big of an issue. And like Donovan helps open up that bottleneck, right? Like now you have someone else who at the very least can create looks for himself, uh, in the half court. You can't, you can't really just focus in only on Darius and, and kind of eliminate a lot of the ripple effects in the half court offense, because he could just swing it to Donovan. And we know Donovan, like you said, uh, very talented ISO scorer, very talented pick and roll, player. Um again, I'm not a big fan of his playmaking. He's a little too turnover prone for my uh uh, my personal and you know me I'm a curmudgeon (laughs) my (laughs) personal taste work the Um, ball around the horn but but you know I, I it's obviously like a really good upgrade for the Cavs. The question the big question I think uh and I've I've heard from multiple different Cavs fans that I know where some like love the trade and are super excited and others were like we gave up too much uh the question is does this trade actually put the calves in the upper tier of the east you know with the celtics with the healthy sixers with you know like uh miami and and milwaukee does it put them firmly with those teams
0: I think it does. Um, I don't know where in that I think it does, but when I look at the Eastern Conference, um, you look at the teams that went last year, I mean, Boston obviously is going to be right up back up there. Miami should be. I do have questions about how they hold up long-term, not making yeah. really any major moves, having a hole in their power forward spot, and really just expecting Jimmy Butler to do exactly what he did last year with, of course, Kyle Lowry's um, personal issues kind of Still, from what I've been reading up, kind of going into this upcoming season. So there's questions with Miami. They could drop down a peg. Um, Atlanta is somewhere in that mix as well. But just looking at the Eastern Conference, I'm I'm trying to think of how I would adjust the rankings or the standings based off of what they Mm -hmm. were. And looking at what we had, let's say Miami drops a little bit. Philadelphia goes up, right? Milwaukee's still up there. Uh, mm-hmm. Toronto, Boston, how you feel? Clearly. Boston's yeah. up there. I think Chicago, Toronto, and Brooklyn are all question marks. Brooklyn, because yes. as long as they're healthy, yes, that should work. But that's a in question. In theory, in theory, but, yeah. So <laughs> but with health and yeah. yeah. So if you look at the top four, I mean, only ones who are locks to me are uh, Boston, Milwaukee,
1: Philadelphia. That's still three locks in the top four. But I, I would put Cleveland right there at four. I, 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 I currently, right now, I feel like cleave like for me cleveland's in that toronto like they might even be like their own sub tier before like you know the 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 ones who have a little bit more questions like brooklyn and so forth and like and atlanta and and those teams that have over the last couple years been competitive um Mm -hmm. I, I think it'll come down to how do they fill out the rest of the roster around these guys? Like, I still think they need a little bit more defense on the wing. Akoro's um, solid, but he's not particularly strong there just yet, in my opinion. They obviously have one of the greatest uh, current pairings, of rim protection and everything, but you still need somebody who's going to slow down those bigger wings, like a Chris Middleton, a uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, a Jalen Brown, a Jason Tatum, like the guys. Yeah. The very teams that they'll play. Jimmy the Butler, James Harden. Exactly. Yeah. The, they're gonna need. Even a Tobias Harris would probably smoke them a little bit. Kevin right Durant on the wing. Yes, and I didn't bring up Kevin because Brooklyn's. No, of course, I'm messing but, with but, you. but yes, but like, I'm saying just to show uh, the, how the, deep these kind yes, of yes. spots are. You are putting but a lot of pressure I, I on think, Isaac Okoro. Yes, exactly. So I think if that if they nail that, like whomever's also getting minutes in that role behind Okoro and, and, and you know, they have some good health, uh, particularly with the new big four. I think they very easily could be up there in that top four in the East. But, you know, it's always coming back to, like, that health and how many people kind of continue to grow and that sort of thing. And um, But, yeah, like, I think they they definitely addressed the biggest issue that they had uh, from last season, and I think they're better equipped this year to take that big leap that it seemed like they were taking at the start of last year.
0: I 100% agree. I think that you're right in terms of not only having – um a team that's on the rise that made another move to continue that upwards trajectory but also you look at you know mitchell's two biggest weaknesses passing and defense i think that you're covered mostly by you know your teammates um darius garland was in the top 10 assists per game last year you know uh, of course mm-hmm. we already know what evan mobley and Jared allen would do you have a guy in Isaac core will help out as well um, that's a lot, but you're right. I think that if we're continuing what they were trying to do, which is continue that march toward playoff relevancy and actual contention, this is a good step in the right direction. But looking more from Cleveland, now taking it over to Utah. We talked mm-hmm. about Danny Ainge a little bit here. Uh, as we know, Utah wants some people want all the smoke. Utah wants all the picks, right? Um, Danny is addicted, I'm telling you, man. There he is, exactly. And that's even assuming the swabs don't come through. You have three unprotected first-round
1: picks and that lottery pick in Abaji. which... Yep. I mean, and, I, and they had previously gotten uh, Walker Kessler as well, from, another like first-round pick from, from this Aubert, most recent draft. I think yeah, they've yeah.
0: done a good job of pretty much yielding back market value for their star players.
1: Between oh, the for two of sure. Them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I mean... Mm-hmm. I, I, you know me again I think part of this is the curmudgeon thing and part of this is just my experience like doing some consulting with teams in the past is like I'm not as big on draft picks even unprotected draft picks as most people are because most of these draft picks right now we're talking about an 86 percent chance of not selecting first among a current group of players who for the most part are like barely in high school or they're currently middle schoolers. So like it's, it's very, it's very exciting for the fans. It's very exciting for the media. Like, Oh my God, we got X number of picks. This is insane. Most players, most picks don't wind up actually doing much. Um, Most players who are drafted don't wind up usually having significant impacts on their team's performance. So like, It is exciting. It is a hopeful thing. Uh, It is somewhat of that secret box, like, what could be in there? It could be anything. We could get an all-star. We could get somebody who maybe is a multiple depoy. But I I think, given my experiences and stuff, I feel a little bit more uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush type thing. Like, I'm a little more focused on the players who can help you right now. But you can't argue that Utah didn't extract a lot of value out of this. The trick now is Danny has to actually hit on these picks. And that's the actually much tougher part. Yeah.
0: Parlaying that we've seen Danny do this in the past before, you know, with a lot of picks and yes, you know, while he did end up getting Jason Tatum out of that. And to a lesser extent, Jalen Brown, you know, we also saw the plethora of other picks that were also part of that big haul that Danny had for years that became nothing. So Mm -hmm. that is true. It's a treacherous kind of gamey play when you put all of your reliance or at least a heavy uh, reliance on picks. But, Fortunately, there were two other players in this deal yes. that did not involve picks that were just players. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to get your take on that. I think it's two guys on team-friendly contracts, given where the yep. team is in Colin Sexton and Larry Markkinen, who can Ooh, either yes. become part of your franchise future or be flipped for more
1: picks. So before we yes. get to what they could be... <laughs> you already are thinking like I'm thinking at least with one of them. Like, hey, um, uh-huh.
0: And I want to get... I'm going to throw it to you yeah. right now and let's get your thoughts on... On both, because I have a feeling we share the same person, but yeah, I want yeah, you to yeah. say Yeah, yeah,
1: So, like, Laurie, Laurie uh, hasn't been the type of shooter that everyone projected him to be. That's not to say he hasn't been a bad, like, he's been a bad one or anything, but, like, he hasn't been the type of shooter that, you know, being a legit spacing big that teams are like, nope, can't leave him. Uh, That hasn't really come into play. He's been a solid NBA player so far. Ideally, you wouldn't want that. You'd want more production for that type of contract that he's on. But, like, like, ultimately, like, it's a fine, workable contract. It's like that Andy Samberg uh, joke in the Justin Timberlake great-great-grandfathers coming to Ellis Island sketch. Like, He's a fine, workable NBA player, you know. It, with the contract, it, it's okay. It's it's a solid contract. the The really interesting one to me is is co- the Colin Sexton deal, uh, part of it, because the, there is there are two avenues here. One is like Sexton is kind of the the cheaper version of what Donovan Mitchell brought. You know, he can do similar things, maybe not to the same degree, but he can do similar things on a much cheaper contract. Um, the other thing is if uh, if they do wind up trading Conley and Bogdanovich and Clarkson for subsequent picks and probably Beasley too, um, who's going to be taking all the shots here? Your man I mean, Sexton. I <laughs> think Sexton, yeah. Monte have it all.
0: Sexton has it all.
1: Yes, yeah, he's going to have all the shots he, he wants, uh, how this likely plays out. And if that's the case, you could have somebody where, like, maybe he grows into becoming, like, a second Donovan Mitchell-type player, the type of, like, he can get buckets in the half court, um, even when he's the defense's focus. Like, maybe he's not going to be a great playmaker, but, like, we have somebody who can generate relatively efficient offense consistently in the half court. He could be a keeper. That's also exactly the type of player who has the recipe for a breakout comeback season mm-hmm. that all of a sudden other teams are like, you know, we kind of need a player like that. Yeah, We'll kick you a couple picks for Sexton.
0: That is true. That is true. I like the idea of Sexton being a year younger than mm-hmm. um Donovan Mitchell, in fact, just making sure of his age, I know he's younger than Donovan, but I want to know by how much. So he's 23, Um, so almost two years younger. Mitchell will turn Mm -hmm. 26 before the start of the season. Um, Colin won't turn 24 until about midway through this next year. So you're getting a guy who's younger, who Mm -hmm. has been a a couple of tweets about this, but like strikingly similar to Donovan Mitchell in terms of scoring, playmaking, at least by the raw numbers, been a surprisingly good outside shooter, didn't come Mm -hmm. in with that um connotation mm-hmm. but has been a very good outside shooter like you could kind of form your head around the idea of Sexton being a guy where do you build a team around Sexton? I don't know if you do but then again I don't think you build a team around Mitchell. But for yes, a rebuilding yeah, team yeah. that's prioritizing development, having young players, you know, there there's worse starting points than a guy yeah. in Colin Sexton who long term you're going to be paying through his prime to see what he is and he's still very young. With that being yep. said, um, I do think that you are going to, there's additional moves to be made, of course. You know, you still have uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker. You still have, and I'm not, I'm starting off him because he came first to mind, not because he's that important, but also, you know, Mike Conley. Um, mm-hmm. you, you have yeah. all of these guards in the back. I'm trying to think of
1: Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson. You have yep. a
0: lot of guys, um, and that's not even saying Bojan Badanovich and other
1: guys. And, and- Beasley, like, Beasley they as well. Malik Beasley. Beasley? They to, like, yeah,
0: yeah. To parlay him for additional picks because that would mm-hmm. make sense. Taylor Horn Tucker, same thing as well. All these guys mm-hmm. either need the ball or are much better on ball than off of yep. it. And so you do have to expect more moves to be made by Utah. Try to get some of those guys clear to make more room if you're trying to focus on um, whether that is just specifically Colin Sexton with the ball more as your guy or mm-hmm. focusing on Colin Sexton and Horn Tucker, another guy, Mad Young, they could grow together um, potentially. Again, there's a lot there that for Utah, when I say grow together in terms of, yeah, not like the next great Utah team, but you gotta have somebody while you're trying to, you know, win for Wimanyama mm-hmm. and, and 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 do all the other stuff that the Jazz will be doing for years to come. So I, it's weird in saying that I like Colin Sexton as a potential building block, however, I'm not sure if the Jazz are looking at him As that player, one could assume that with the contract, but it's a nice contract on any team.
1: Yeah, again, like it's they didn't pay him the same they would be paying somebody like Mitchell. Like I, I feel like this is a buy low type deal, but not necessarily with clarity on: are we buying low and expecting him to emerge into what we're looking for? Are we buying low and thinking we can sell high? um and honestly like Danny is a big game hunter Danny Danny's not going out for grouse or like rabbits like like Danny is a big game hunter so i imagine most of his moves are going to be focused on like can i get like two or three guys that i think can legit be the guys for a championship level team and I don't think, obviously, at this point in time, they have any of those guys as as we stand here today. Um plus, I also just think Danny again has a draft pick addiction,
0: yeah, yeah, there's I, yeah. Trader Danny, I mean, it's not yeah. yes, yes, like, yes, yeah
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, w- we'll see how it plays out, but i i'm I'm interested to to kind of see also what other moves happen before training camp starts before the start of the season starts, how much of a like completely fresh start do they want to give? Will Hardy is the, the first year uh, first time head coach in the NBA. Uh, is he just starting basically from scratch with a fairly like really young team mm-hmm. or are they, you know, gonna let these Mike Conley's, on Bogdanovich's Jordan Clarkson uh, Beasley's uh, of the the team kind of play out wait until we get the best possible offer because Danny could go either way honestly but um, yeah, yeah it, it's it's definitely been an interesting offseason for Utah and I'm I'm interested to see how they actually hit on these chances at bat because that's the big thing you can have all the picks in the world. Doesn't matter unless you hit on enough of them. And make it count. That's the truth. That's yep. the truth. And I guess closing this out before we end
0: this here, we've heard a lot of flack about New York, right? New York should have been yeah. in this. New York was in the bag. We start off with the show talking about how we thought mm-hmm. this was a done deal. Do you lay any blame on New York for not making this deal? Did you think it was ideal for New York and – I guess my last question is, were there other teams you wish could have got in the mix on it? Um, just, yeah, wondering about that from your
1: perspective. Uh, I'm sure there were other teams that were secretly in the mix on it, uh, depending on what they had available. Lakers and Ross. Um, no. Just, just kidding. No, no, <laughs> no. Sorry, bud. No. Oh, right. <laughs> But um, you, got me. They, uh, you had to get it in there. I respect that. I had to. Um, for the brand, for the culture. For the Knicks... In some senses, I actually give them kudos for for kind of calling Danny's bluff and being like, no, man. Like the, the other thing is the Knicks' potential offer base has always been overblown because they do have a lot of additional firsts, but those are all pretty protected firsts. Uh, they're not the most attractive first to throw out at other teams, and they were hesitant to give up their own protected firsts, um, which – Given the last like 20-ish years with the Knicks, I don't exactly blame their front office for like being hesitant to to do that. Um, I also don't buy that Danny was really that interested in RJ Barrett and having to, you know, sign him to a large-scale extension. So like I, I think the deal was always going to be focused on picks and the value of the picks that New York could offer was never as good as like the media kind of played it up to be.
0: I get it, and you know it's New York media it's sp- sells. Yes. You want to yeah. get a, a Kickstarter, a Kickstarter. You want to get something fire started. You bring up yep. the Knicks. So I agree with you there in the perspective there. I'm glad for what it's worth the Knicks didn't do it. I don't think it made sense for them yeah. to about all their assets from that point. Um, mm. I-, I do like, of course, Donovan Mitchell. I think he'd be a nice. I I, I personally think he'd be a better. Future piece for the Knicks and RJ Barrett. I
1: don't know if that's bold or not, but that's how I feel. I but don't I'm glad think, they didn't I don't it. think it's too bold. Mm. Our, RJ's is like a mixed bag for a lot of talent evaluators, but well, yeah, I I was gonna ask what do you think about him, but I don't want to go too far straight. Yeah, we, we don't, don't the need show. to get too. Well, big if we ever do a uh, Knicks, again, yeah. to, again to me it comes back to like that uh, that SNL sketch I, I mentioned with Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake, the <laughs> Ellis Island, like. Fine, a fine, fine workable, good fine. young NBA player. Exactly. Is he who I would build the team around? No. Exactly is he a I bad? A is around. he a bad NBA player? No. No. Young like, guy got a future. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's got like he's made strides, he, especially defensively. Like I think he's going to be a good NBA player and have a good long career. I just don't think he's the star that New York wants.
0: There it is. I like it. I like it. Listen, y'all, you just heard from the man himself, Josh Earl. Follow him on Twitter, at 2RedJ We'll be back at y'all real soon with something very, very fun. But in the meantime, between time, you can follow me on Twitter, at CorbinNBA.
1: Love the collab, man. Thanks again for your time, Josh. it cool. Thanks for having me on, man. It's always fun talking basketball, even if you got to keep uh, the Lakers in the combo I <laughs> got to. For, for co- the culture. For the and, culture.
0: For the culture. <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever,
1: man. K- kudos to you for continuing to shoot your shot. Thank you. Hey, listen, <laughs> always,
0: always, my guy. No. <laughs> All right, y'all, listen, stay tuned with us. Um, like I said, got some exciting stuff coming down the, the pipeline here. But until next time, for Josh, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all say Frosty, and we'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all.